great to see it raining here in Albury today. I pray for that rain everywhere else around the country, and I do pray for that rain. And I'd encourage other, others who believe in the power of prayer to pray for that rain and to pray for our farmers. Please do that. And everyone else who doesn't like to do that, you just say, good on you guys, and you, you, you go well, and keep good thoughts for them, or whatever you do. Hi, my name is Jan Wyshnevsky and this is The Strife, a podcast thinking about issues in Australia with a long-term in mind. In 2015, a group of farmers met in the Blue Mountains to discuss Australia's less than impressive progress on combating climate change, and they decided to do something about it. Farmers for Climate Action was born. Since then, they have been focused on getting decision makers to commit to immediate action on climate change and supporting on-farm adaption and mitigation. Today, I'll talk to Verity Morgan-Schmidt, the CEO of Farmers for Climate Action. Verity has written in the past that as climate change effects ramp up, Australia as a whole will suffer because agriculture is a vital cog in our economy and is the most exposed of our industries to climate change. So who better than farmers to talk about why we need a long-term plan? Here's Verity. Have a listen. So first of all, I just wanted to know how you came to this role and what does being CEO of Farmers for Climate Action entail exactly? So I came to the role after spending my entire life in agriculture. I'm off a farm in uh, the Western Australian Wheat Belt. Um, and have a background in the corporate space as a wool auctioneer and a wool broker, uh, and then in ag politics. And um, as I started to, to have my my daughters and look more into the future and what the uh, what the future looks like for Australian agriculture and indeed for us generally as a society, um, I recognised the importance of really merging my two key passions of sustainability and sustainable development and agriculture because agriculture really is that sort of linchpin in uh, human development moving mm-hmm. forward and, you know, we ag is the, the place where so many of the solutions which we need to address for both climate change but more broadly planetary boundaries, um, agriculture is at the epicentre of all of that. Um, so I came into this role uh, from that agropolitical background um, but with a very strong passion and a, a master's degree in um, sustainability, so it's a really it's a great merger for me of those two key areas. What the role entails is supporting our farmers right across the country to to build their build their voices on these critical issues. So building the capacity of Australian farmers to be part of the solution on climate change, so through on-farm adaptation, mitigation, support for renewable energies in region, renewable energy in regional areas, etc. Um, but also supporting farmers to become uh, strong advocates on these issues as well, and really building that support peers network of farmers around the country, so that we can start to shift the dialogue and to really take the the politics, the party politics, which is a plague Australian climate and energy policy for, oh gosh, longer than 10 years, but yeah. um, at least a decade now, uh, to try to take some of the party politics out of that. You know, our heartland is conservative rural Australia. Sure. And what we know is that this is the area that's on the front line of climate change and they are incredibly motivated to be speaking out 
to be advocating for stronger action from our from our politicians, but also to be taking those actions on farm. So you spoke a little bit there about the message of your organisation, but I'm just wondering about how you you go about spreading it. I know in the last couple of weeks, um, a convoy of farmers drove to to Canberra to uh, demand, I guess, stronger and more unified action. Like you were saying that for the uh, asking for the politicians to get over their party politics and asking for action from the government on climate change. Is that a common sort of method that you're using and what other things are you doing? No, we haven't actually done a convoy previously. Yeah. Um, it was fascinating, you know, that, that recent action, that rally outside Parliament House, farmers don't tend to, to rally particularly quickly or easily. Um, generally, farmers are pretty pragmatic people and they're focused on yeah. solutions. You know, our farmers tend to be focused on what they're doing on ground. And when they are flat out in the middle of drought, as so many of them are right now, it's a big leap for them to be able to take that message down to Canberra that they need to see stronger action. But those, those convergence of factors, you know, seeing um, a prime minister removed with climate energy policy, again, in the epicenter mm. of that decision, mm. um, seeing that happen, seeing our, our, our new elected leaders um, coming out declaring drought as their top priority and then flatly refusing to acknowledge the existence of climate change and the linkages between climate change uh, and its impact on drought, um, really frustrated so many of our farmers. And so they felt moved to really send this very strong, very clear message down to Canberra that really enough is enough. We've got to get on with action. We've got to break this drought on climate action and actually move forward so that we can have a sustainable future. Um, so it's not a usual strategy that we would use mm. at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, I might add. Um, <laughs> but it was certainly something that was appropriate at the time and reflected the wishes of our farmers. Yeah. So we do uh, a variety of things, as I mentioned. So um, we apply community organising techniques, which is something that uh, other uh, other social movements do incredibly well but haven't really engaged with agriculture to date. So we take community organising techniques and support farmers to to engage and have these strong conversations with other farmers. Uh, we run a Climate Smart uh, Agriculture Fellowship down in Victoria, mm-hmm. which is really building the capacity of farmers to be change agents on and off the farm, and that's a pretty intensive program. We also run climate and, and energy literacy training via both webinars and face-to-face gatherings across Australia to really build that understanding and awareness of the factors contributing to uh, climate change and to what we are experiencing already and also to build that literacy about climate and energy policy because after a, a decade of inaction and backflips and political rhetoric, there is a lot of confusion about that. So it's a case of breaking through that, meeting our farmers where they are and really um, working collaboratively with other organisations uh, in the sector. So we're an associate member of the National Farmers Federation uh, and we seek to work with um, members of the NFS family and also more broadly within the sector um, and building the capacity of the sector as a whole mm-hmm. to be strong advocates on climate action. And in those sort of face-to-face meetings, do you find that most of the farmers are receptive to the ideas that you're providing them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, look, Farmers for Climate Action is certainly a, time, a movement whose time has come. Mm-hmm. Um, five years ago, when I was more involved in agri-politics, uh, there's, 
know, it's hard to imagine a movement like this uh, existing. Mm. And it does, you know, now it is absolutely flourishing and we are overrun with demand. And, you know, the recent rally is a great example um, where we only put it out to, to farmers within sort of a, well, an 800 kilometre radius of Canberra yeah. because we were quite realistic mm. about, you know, the, the expectation and, you know, you throw it to someone further out and it's just a bit of an odd request. We've been inundated with support from farmers who have come out to say, hey, I wish I'd known about it. I would have been there regardless of the distance. And I think that's an incredibly powerful message. You know, farmers are increasingly aware of damage to the climate. They're very concerned about that damage to the climate. They're on the coalface of um, both incompatible land use but also climate change. Mm -hmm. And they're really pushing very strongly for action to be taken to address our trajectory. Mm So the, the plight of Australia's farmers has uh, come back to the attention of media and politicians recently, um, in particular related to personal drought stories. Um, and obviously drought's not a new thing in Australia, and nor is the particular drought that we're feeling now um, new. Uh, I guess there's been, from what I've read, extended dry periods in parts of Queensland for the last five or so years. So... I was just wondering, based on what you've seen um, on farms in rural areas, how are Australia's farmers holding up? Look, Australian farmers are incredibly resilient. They they farm in one of the most variable climates in the world, and they are very good at adapting to and rolling with the rolling with the realities of dealing with that um, variable climate. the harsh fact of the matter is that no matter how good a manager you are, and as I said, many of our farmers are very good managers, it's very hard to prepare for six or seven straight years of drought, which yeah. is what parts of Western Queensland have mm-hmm. been enduring. What we're seeing is that you know we don't, no one enjoys this hard done by farmer narratives because farmers are incredibly good business managers and they are um, committed to looking after the welfare of their stock, but also to looking after the welfare of their environment and the ecosystems that form part of their business. But what we are seeing is we are seeing an, an erosion in natural capital as a result of um, the changing climate, and so we are seeing things like our wheat yield, um, wheat yield starting to stagnate as a result of that climate-adjusted productivity across the, the wheat-producing regions. And so this is actually starting to come out in cold, hard data now. So what our farmers are seeing in the field, they're improving their water use efficiency, they're doing everything that they possibly can to adapt and become even better than what they already are, and yet they're still facing... Uh, these increasingly extreme conditions and whether that be frost, whether that be drought, uh, whether that be torrential rainfall in, in some regions unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these climate impacts make it increasingly difficult for farmers to be able to uh, continue to, to manage and adapt the way that they historically have done. Mm-hmm. Okay, just moving on to uh, another piece of action from Farmers for Climate Action. Uh, right now on change.org, there is a petition that sits close to, I think, about 5,000 signatures, and it's addressed to the Federal Agriculture Minister, David Littleproud, and that's calling for a national plan on farming and climate change. Why is it so important that the government needs to be involved in planning to keep Aussie farms uh, profitable and sustainable? Yeah, really, really good question, Jan. 
So what this campaign is calling for, what this petition is calling for, is a, a national strategy on climate change and agriculture and a national strategy that is fully funded, fully implemented, someone that actually has teeth and is going to support our farmers and provide the policy framework and the policy setting for our farmers to be able to adapt and thrive into the future. So what we are looking at is increasing risks as a result of um, the changing climate. So we're looking at risks both directly at the farm gate level, which is what you and I have just spoken about, but also those um, indirect risks. So changing global demand, um, where the consumers are starting to move towards uh, lower emissions um, food products, which is why you know, the fact that Meat and Livestock Australia has a carbon neutral by 2030 target for the red meat sector is so exciting, or whether that be impacts on demand for other climate-related risks. Um, all of these pieces need to be fully assessed and understood because one of the ways that we we tend to think about it is, you know, it's very hard to, for farmers to plan and adapt for the future uh, if we don't actually have the correct policy framework and the policy setting in place to support that. So we need to look at those those targets over the short, medium and long term, grapple with the reality of what our current trajectory is saying to us so that we don't end up with a situation where farmers um, undertake maladaptive practices, which may actually backfire in the long term yeah. without grappling with the reality over um, what our future looks like, it's very hard for farmers to be able to go, okay, in 20 years' time, I need to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a big part of the work that we're doing there. Also trying to get the policy framework right for that support for a greater uptake of climate-smart agriculture across the supply chain. Okay. Um, so climate-smart agriculture is a, a critical element of uh, include improving the sustainability and productivity and profitability of farm businesses, mm-hmm. um, but also looking after uh, the the efficiencies of those operations and making sure that our farms and our regions are really strong and really resilient. Yeah, and you spoke a bit about uh, grappling with the realities of what's facing our farmers. Could you give a bit, a bit more detail about the possible risks um that Farmers for Climate Action believes climate change poses to our agricultural sector? Well, I think the thing is, Yarn, that it's actually not about belief. It's not really about what we believe mm-hmm. is going to be the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what the science is telling us. Sure. And what the science is telling us is that uh, areas of Australian agriculture are becoming increasingly marginal. We are seeing the rainfall zones um, there was some wonderful work done by the Australian Export Grains Innovation Centre a couple of years back and they've updated it, um, showing how the rainfall zones are actually shifting across our wheat producing areas. And that's quite staggering data because you're looking at areas that have traditionally been uh, very strong wheat belt regions and they are actually starting to see that shift. Yeah. We are seeing things like um, at Broken Hill where you have uh, unprecedented amounts of, of hot days which makes it um, very difficult for sustainable livestock production to be mm-hmm. to be uh, carried out, which is, of course, something that our farmers are um, very committed to for managing the animal husbandry. But when you're dealing with increasing hot days, how do you plan for that? How do you have the setting in place to support you? Last year, New South Wales was two degrees above the bomb baseline average. That's a really significant risk because that has agronomic impacts for our crops and for the way that our crops respond. Obviously, heat and water stress are significant risk factors. And then, I mean, I could go on, Jan, but <laughs> the other one that's quite um, quite often forgotten is the increasing risk of frost. 
Um, and that, of course, is one of those, those silent killers in many ways. And across uh, many of our wheat-producing regions, frost is actually becoming an increasing risk as the climate changes. So it is a it is a really complex situation, mm-hmm. and this is why we are saying, look, we need to have a long, hard stock take of what this looks like. It's not about belief. It's about understanding what the best available science is for now yeah. and being basing our policies on a strong evidence base. So based on uh, these scientific observations and the data, uh, without effective uh, adaption and mitigation policies towards climate change, are you saying that there will be regions uh, of Australia that will be no longer viable for agricultural use? I think this is why we need to have a really strong assessment of that data. Um, It's going to certainly become increasingly difficult in a lot of these regions to certainly carry on the existing agricultural management practices and farmers will continue to adapt. But, Mm. you know, you look at South Australia as one example and South Australia has been uh, goiter's line, which is typically guided where you can produce um, cereal crops in that state. We've seen that steadily moving south. So what we need to really uh, look at in quite significant detail is, Mm -hmm. well, what does a sustainable future for rural and regional Australia, including some of these areas that are going to be incredibly hard hit, what does a sustainable future look like? How can we support our farmers um, out there over the long run? Because we need to be looking after these ecosystems. We need to have a sustainable and vibrant farming industry. Yeah. So how do we achieve those outcomes? Okay. So if we just go back to the petition that we were talking about a little bit earlier, some of the requests um, outlined within that petition don't relate directly to agricultural practices. That includes Australia transitioning to clean energy, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and stopping new coal and gas mines. Um, these are requests commonly linked to climate action advocates, but for what reason should Australia's farmers be interested in these? Oh, look, Australian farmers are very interested in these. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with the, the clean energy transition, first and foremost. So I, I'm not sure if you're aware, Jan, but regional Australia is one of the primary beneficia- beneficiaries of um, renewable energy. What we see is that uh, renewable energy, when it is, is well managed and when that clean energy transition is smoothly managed, mm-hmm. that those benefits and that resilience as a result of that, the revenue and diversification of the revenue streams into rural areas have significant benefits for communities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth noting as well, Jan, that you know farmers don't operate in isolation. They are intrinsically linked with their surrounding regional communities. Mm-hmm. And so that's a critical part and why why things like a clean energy transition is so important is because we need to be engaging with the, the towns and the communities as well. And renewable energy offers one of those great pathways for diversifying those regional economies. There's some fantastic initiatives happening across Australia at the moment which are really helping to underpin that diversification which can help support farms and farm businesses when times do get really tough in the face of drought. Uh, so one of our farmers down at um, Cookwell, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. Um, he has been through uh, the, the millennium drought and really struggled with the millennium drought. Now he and his neighbours and the region, the local community are actually involved in um, some wind farm projects. And so they are experiencing those economic benefits flowing through the community, allowing them to de-stock earlier and to better manage their risk profile. Further north, um, out near Longreach, there are other farm, sorry, graziers out near Longreach 
who have embraced the opportunity to to put solar farms um, onto their properties because it's the perfect area for it. And that, again, is diversifying the resilience of that community, supporting the farmer and the neighbours and really keeping uh, the community quite strong because they've now got an alternative array of revenue streams. Uh, The second point to address there is reducing emissions across all sectors of the economy. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure uh, how familiar you are with it, Jan, but in order to to reach our Paris Agreement targets, um, we obviously need to be reducing emissions right across the economy and not allowing uh, any one sector to just be passing the buck. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, what we saw um, under the the NEG and what concerned a lot of our farmers was that the the targets set for the energy sector uh, were were quite, quite low and uh, the deep concern held by farmers was that if we didn't um, embrace that transition and seek to achieve uh, stronger targets in areas where it is viable, does the cost and the burden for doing so then get passed on to sectors which are not as well placed to actually be able to reduce emissions quite as quickly? Mm-hmm. Now, agriculture is working on being on the front foot in terms of our own emissions profile, and I've already mentioned the um, the strong leadership shown by Meat and Livestock Australia in yeah. advancing a carbon neutral by 2030 target. Um, there are industry sustainability frameworks, which obviously, you know, their whole essence is to, to put sustainability front and centre and emissions and footprints, etc., are a part of that. So what we don't want to see is the burden from other sectors being passed on to agriculture as the price takers once, once again. And the last point that I think mm-hmm. you raised uh, in the yard was um, that commitment to stopping new coal and gas yep. mines. And, you know, the reality is that not only are our farmers on the front lines of climate change, in many instances, from the Galilee to the Pillager, you know, right across the country, um, farmers are also on the front line of incompatible land use and extractive industry that threatens to undermine groundwater at the same time as pumping additional emissions to make the climate change issues worse. And nowhere is that playing out um, more clearly than in... Uh, you look at the Galilee, for argument's sake, where farmers, you know, they're in a graveyard during their sixth or seventh year of drought, depending on the area. Um, they are dependent on their groundwater and their bores to be able to keep stock watered, et cetera, et cetera. And we have extractive industries which uh, pose, pose the risk of actually undermining access to that groundwater resource mm-hmm. at the same time as they are actually contributing to climate change. So it's just really, um, you know, it's all interconnected, Jan, and I think that's, that's a critical point to, to note. So they're not separate issues, and these are issues that do matter very deeply to many farmers across Australia. Yeah. Okay, Verity, I think you've done a, a great job of showing why our farmers have moved towards the, the front line of, of climate action. Was there anything that you wanted to add before we finish up? Oh, just to reiterate again, Jan, that, you know, we need, what our farmers need to see is this moving beyond party politics. We, um, we, one of the things that we say very strongly is that if we have, if we have elected representatives who proclaim to be standing up for rural Australia, mm-hmm. then they need to be standing up for action on climate change because it is one of the greatest threats to the future uh, vi- viability of rural and regional Australia and will exacerbate um, the other existing challenges that we already face. So we really need to see our, our leaders, um, our communities, etc. start to grapple with these challenges and collectively work towards a, a sustainable future for rural Australia. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your outstanding work and thank you very much again for speaking to me today. Absolute pleasure to chat with you, Jan. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks. 
the excellent Verity Morgan-Schmidt, CEO of Farmers for Climate Action, outlining why our politicians need to get serious about a national plan on farming and climate change and cleaning up Australia's industries more generally. I'll leave you with a classic Australian tune from Goanna, Razor's Edge, which appeared on their debut album, Spirit of Place. The song's co-writer, Shane Howard, was kind enough to allow me to use this song for the episode. So thanks to Shane, thanks again to Verity, and thanks to you for listening.
Yeah, but...